to be in Acts 27 and Acts 28, and just looking at what's taking place, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit as that uh, men and women of faith engage with what he's doing. The apostles, but also beyond that, we see um, just people in faith and God doing amazing things. So we see that Paul was on his way to Rome. He was going there, and from the world's perception, he was going there as a prisoner, uh, on a prison ship, he was being taken to Rome. But we know that uh, perception is not always reality. And in kingdom reality, in God's perspective, he wasn't going as a prisoner, but he was going as an ambassador to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We see that in Acts 23, 11, which was four chapters earlier, that God had already given Paul a, wo- a word that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel message. And so he's got faith in his heart, and he's going with a purpose, even though the perception is that it's totally different to that. And on the way to Rome, he experiences this severe storm. It's this uh, northeaster. It's called a Eurocladen. It's this perfect storm, we are saying. It's the perfect combination of all the factors and all the elements hitting at one time. It's this convergence that's just too much. You know, if you look at it individually, you can face certain things that are coming at you. But when it's a cumulative, when it's a collective, it becomes formidable. It's a little bit like when you see the Springboks in New Zealand. And maybe uh, Malcolm Marx has a good game, but that's not enough. But maybe uh, Faf has a good game, that's not enough. But when the whole team pitch up and collectively they arrive, there's this convergence, there's this perfect storm that in the tin can starts to shake things up a little bit. Sorry, that's not part of my sermon but I'm just trying to be applicable. And so they're facing this perfect storm, and because of it, there's fear that grips their heart. And there's certain things that you cannot allow fear to cause you to do. One of the things that happens here is they hadn't yet reached their destination, but fear caused them to drop the anchor. And we had spoken about don't lower the anchor until you've reached your destination. And so they drop their anchor in the midst of the storm because of fear. And what happens? The winds of adversity start to batter them, drive them, beat them, and they find themselves in this tumultuous place. And then we see that because of that, as I said, they've dropped the anchor. They're driven by the storm rather than being driven by God's purposes and destiny. There's something that takes place. How many of us here have allowed storms to cause fear in our hearts where we've dropped anchors and we've been driven and battered by the storm rather than placing our trust, our confidence, our belief in God's word and his purposes and his promises in our life to get us to where he's called us to? We find ourselves, what's driving you? That's what we are speaking about. Uh, and, then, and then we see this, this encounter where an angel comes to the apostle Paul and speaks to him and says, don't worry, you're all going to make it. That sounds incredibly reassuring. But then he goes on to say that, but the ship isn't. And so there's a little bit of fear that's provoked in their hearts once again. And that can provoke fear in our hearts. Because sometimes we've got our own plans on what should get us to where we think we should be going. We've got our own idea of what should be carrying us. We've got our own picture of what the platform looks like to bring me into my destiny. And sometimes that's not the thing that's going to carry us through because it's not, it's not so important about what you're in, but what's in you. It's less important than what you're in. It's more important about who's in you that's carrying you to where you're meant to go. And so they make it, and you and I can make it even with the ships that we think should be getting us there. 
And maybe it's, and we spoke about it, maybe it's a relationship we are placing our trust in. Maybe it was expectations on leadership. Maybe it was companionship that didn't work out like we wanted or a partnership that was meant to break us through. But God says, I'm the one that's gonna do it. Don't place your trust in ships. Believe in me to get you to your destination. So that's what we were looking through um, last week. And so I'm wanting to just finish that off and jump into Acts 28 here this morning. And so we see in 27 verse 30, the end of this account that I'm talking about. Um, They've heard that they're going to make it, but the ship's not going to make it. What do you do in the midst of that moment when God gives you a promise, yet you don't have clarity? Well, the sailors on the ship thought, well, we're going to help God along in this one because maybe he hasn't planned correctly. So there are about 275 people that are on the ship. And the sailors think what we're going to do is we're going to start to lower the lifeboats. Here's the thing, a little bit like the Titanic, there weren't enough lifeboats. But the sailors were making sure that they were the first ones to lower them. So they thought, well, we're going to help God along because this ship's not going to make it. So I'm going to put my plan into effect. I'm going to lower the lifeboat to get me there. And the apostle Paul says, no. He says to the soldiers, he says, no, you better, you better cut those lifeboats because man's plans are going to cut into and they're going to hinder God's plans. You better cut those lifeboats. Otherwise, we're not all going to get there. God has said, He's going to do it, and we need to place our trust in him. We need to believe him for everything he's promised. You know, you're not in faith at all if you're believing him only for some things and believing yourself for others. Faith means this. It's totally reliant, fully persuaded, and convinced that he is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. It's not living in that place of half measures. And the encouragement to us in this day and age is, We can seem like adept businessmen when we've got a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way to Z. And and, and that's good in the marketplace. I'm not knocking that. But there's something different that's meant to be revealed in your life and mine as men and women of faith, as kingdom people. There's something different where we as believers, we need to know that, that there's no plan B, C, D. There's plan A, which is Jesus. It's holding on to him, believing him, knowing that he can do what he said that he's gonna do. And so there's something about that which it's about trusting God for everything he's promised you or we're not trusting him at all. And it's this thing called practical atheism. There's a danger today. There's an enticement for us. There's a, a temptation and a draw that we can live as practical atheists. You know what that means? You've heard me say it before. It's where we confess that we believe but we live like we don't. We, we confess that God can do it, but we live like we believe he can't do it. And we live in this place, this dichotomy, and it, it wears and it tears at the fabric of our spirituality. We need to come back to that place where we say, we're cutting the lifeboats. There's no other plan. I'm totally believing and throwing myself in with your purpose and plan, Lord Jesus, whatever that might look like in your life and in my life, because God cannot activate his plan for your life while you're still holding on to your plan for your life. God can't activate his plan in your life while you're clinging on to your own plan. You need to release that to step into and be carried by the purposes that he has for you. So it's letting go of plan B, and it's trusting God. And it's hard because sometimes we think, well, Lord, that's an awesome place you're taking me to, but the way to get there, I would do it a little bit different. I would make use of those lifeboats. I'm sure, Lord, I could do it a whole lot better because if we get that ship near to shore, I know it can't get the whole way, but have you thought, Lord, maybe you can, maybe we can anchor it and maybe we can just use the lifeboats to do multiple trips and get us there. It seems reasonable. It seems like it's a good idea. 
But Paul is realizing this. It's not so much about his understanding as it is about trusting God. Faith isn't about understanding as much as trusting. Sometimes we read and read and read the word of God because we want to increase in our faith, but really we're in a pursuit to understand more, but we're not trusting what it says. Faith is this. It's trusting what he says. And Paul realizes that there's something better than having a reason. It's having a revelation. And so Paul gives him a revelation that goes beyond him just needing a reason. And he places his trust in that. So say to someone near you, next to you here today, say, trust God. That's my first encouragement. Trust God. Even when you don't understand, even where there are things going on in your life that you can't make sense of, God is saying, trust me. So that's the encouragement from his promises we find in his word. So let go of your lifeboats. Here's the scripture because you're looking at me a bit strangely. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Some of us here today, that's, that, that's enough of the word right there to minister to you, you where you're at and to get you where you need to be. Here it is. Let me read it again. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I was going to title the sermon today, I was going to title it, um, Storm, Shipwrecks, Snakes, and Soundtracks. In verse 41, we see that they, they, they hit a sandbank. This is what's happening. The shipwreck moment comes, and they hit a sandbank, and the boat is dashed to pieces. That's what it says. It's, it's just destroyed. It's pounded by the surf. But the people get to Malta. Everyone gets there, as the promise of God had said. But some of them get there just by hanging on to, it's just a piece of wood. Only a piece of wood. And I love that picture. It's so encouraging because, and uh, it's not me that said it, but you can find it anywhere on, on Pinterest, that God can do great things with, those piece, with pieces that are broken. God can do great things with broken pieces. And sometimes in our life, there are those areas of brokenness, and we think they disqualify us from the blessing of God. We think that uh, we can no longer believe for his favor. We can no longer believe for his grace. But what can he do in the midst of this brokenness that I'm living in? But he loves to show forth his beauty in the midst of brokenness. He can do great things with broken pieces. And the religious spirit hates this. The religious spirit is incredibly offended when God uses people that it deems disqualified. It offends the religious spirit, but I want to say this, it brings joy to the grace-filled um, dwelling place of the Father, that his throne is full of grace. We go to his throne for grace in our time of need, grace and mercy. And so there's this offense that comes to that religious, um, religious spirit, because maybe you're here today and you've been a prisoner. Maybe you've got some scars. Maybe you've been in the storms. Maybe you've picked up a few of those splinters through the shipwreck. I want to say it doesn't disqualify you from the fact um, that God wants to use you. It's actually the thing that draws his grace. It's actually the thing that draws his blessing and his mercy and his tension towards you. It doesn't disqualify you. So I want to encourage you here. If you've been feeling in that place, of brokenness and they're broken pieces in my life and I've got no peace. I want to tell you that God wants to do great things to in and through you and bless you, favor you, and to minister to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. Paul writes, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. 
We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We carry in our body the whole time the death of Christ so that the the life of Christ might be manifest through us. They're going through these moments, but they realize that if it's broken, God can fix it. Sometimes we get to a place of finality and we don't realize that he's the infinite one. Sometimes we get to a place where it seems impossible and we forget he's the God with which everything is possible. Sometimes we forget that he's the supernatural one and he can shift our natural to come into accordance with who he is. And if it's broken, he can fix it. If it's empty, he can fill it. If it's failed, I want to say God can restore it. If it's sin, he can't forgive it. If it's wrong, he can make it right. If it's paralyzed, he can make it move again. If it's died, he can resurrect it because that's who he is. That's what the scripture tells us. And so they use broken pieces to get there. Sometimes you don't have the whole plan. You don't know the whole situation. You don't have the whole picture. You just have to hang on to a piece of what God's given you. But I want to say when you hang on to that piece, his peace holds you. We read in Philippians 4 verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends, goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts. It'll hold you. It'll carry you. It'll protect you. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful promise right there. Wow, I'm enjoying this message so far. This is a good message. (laughs) Now, sometimes you're preparing it, but you're not hearing it. And when you hear it, you think this is, this is good news. I mean, this is encouragement from the Spirit of God to, to my heart. And then we feel in that place where we've been broken. Maybe we feel like we're in pieces. And maybe we feel we don't have the, the right to call on his name. I want to say just because you don't feel right doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to call on the one who is right, who is righteousness, because that's who he is in your moment of need. It's when you realize that it's not the power of how you are, but the power of who he is. It's not the power of how you are, of how you're living, how you're doing, how you're facing things. The power of how I am, I'm a powerful person so I can approach him. No, it's not got to do with that. It's got to do with who he is, that he's on his throne of grace and mercy and you can approach him in your time of need to receive that from him. That's his father's heart. That's the invitation that we have. So here's my encouragement. Worship him with your wounds. Praise him through your problems. Don't feel that those are the detractions and the the things that hinder you. Come just like you are to them. They make it to the shore hanging on broken pieces. And they're hanging on, and it's a picture of what we get to do with the cross. It's a picture of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he hung on a tree in Calvary. And we get to hang onto this this cross. We get to, as it says in um, Galatians, Paul says, I get to boast on the cross. He doesn't boast that he's an apostle. He doesn't boast on the miracles he's seen. He doesn't boast boast that he's um, been in the storm and he's heard a revelation from an angel. And even though he's shipwrecked, he's been able to get them to their destination. He doesn't boast in any of those things. He says, I boast in the cross. I boast in the finished work. I boast in the blood. I boast in the grace. I boast in the forgiveness. I boast in the goodness. I boast in the adoption that we get to be part of a family. There's something I'm going to boast about. I'm going to cling to. I'm going to hold to. That's going to bring me into the fullness of what God has for me. Acts 28 verse 1. Once safely on shore, we finally got to 28. Acts 28 verse 1. Once safely on shore... I'm tired now. (laughs) Some water.
You're going to see why I'm tired in just a moment. Once safely on shore, we find, find out that the island was called Malta. Malta means refuge. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and it was cold. And Paul arriving, he gathers up a pile of brushwood. Sorry, we can put it on the screens. Brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper is driven out by the heat and fastens itself on his hand. Can you imagine what this moment is like for Paul? I mean, we've been speaking about raise that anchor. You know, he's been in faith. He's raised the anchor. He's let go of the light boats. He's been clinging to the broken pieces of wood. He's survived the shipwreck. He's waited for hours in open water. He's finally been washed on up upon the shore. He's soaking. It's cold. It's raining. He gets there. He's just looking for a little bit of warmth. He has to go and find and gather his own wood. He carries it back. He starts the fire and he thinks, this is the moment I can just get a little bit of refreshing. He starts the fire and a viper launches out and fastens itself to him. How many of us here have a little bit of fear of snakes? There's this, I, 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 what is a viper? I looked it up. Okay, let me read you a little description. A viper is, um, all vipers are venomous and have long extreme fangs. Not just usual fangs. This is the definition. They have long extreme fangs, which are hollow, hinged, and rotatable. That means you don't get to hide from the fang. And it's hollow because it's not just going to bite you and inflict pain, but it's going to uh, inject venom into you. That's what it does. And they have keel-shaped scales. I'm wearing my, my crocodile belt here. It's got, these are keel-shaped. It means it's not just normal scales. It's ridged, horny scales. And, and it's got vertically elliptical pupils. I mean, how much more scary can you get? I'm preparing. I'm spending time. I'm going through this message. Guess what I dreamt of all night? <laughs> So there is something I'm going to want to shake off when we get to the right moment because I've had interesting dreams. But we, we know through the scripture that snakes don't represent blessing. They represent the enemy. And there's something here that's key for us to note. I want to say you're safe if you just sit here. You're safe in your apathy. You're safe in your complacency. And I'm not saying you're safe for yourself. I'm saying you're safe to the enemy because you're not dangerous. You see, Paul was able to carry the brushwood. It would have had the viper in it, but it didn't attack him. You can carry these things around with you. You can cart them wherever you go. All you've got to do is make sure you don't turn the fire on. Turn the heat up. But there's something in the Apostle Paul where he turns the heat up and he turns the fire on. And when that happens, it drives out all these vipers that have been sluggishly in hiding and hanging around and trying to journey with you wherever you might be going. He turns the fire up, he turns the heat up, and this, this viper launches out and fastens itself to him. And I love what we see with Paul. He doesn't try to reason with it. He doesn't try to resolve, I'm going to fast and I'm going to... Um, pray for three days. He doesn't say, I'm going to go and read some scripture. Those are great and excellent things. Do them now. Because when the attack comes, you've got to be able to react and respond in faith to who God is and his anointing and authority on your life and know how to operate in that moment that comes through intimacy of knowing what the Holy Spirit's saying in it. And so Paul doesn't try to reason with it. He doesn't try to accommodate it. He doesn't tolerate it. He doesn't make room for it. He doesn't wake up every morning thinking about it. He doesn't allow it to push him into a, a cynical worldview. You, he doesn't get so offended that the snake bit me and I'm a victim that I'm going to throw my tennis racket on the ground. I apologize. <laughs> I took it a little bit far. 
He doesn't say the touch judges heard that they were offside. And I'm offended that nothing was done for those of you who read News 24 after rugby games. He didn't try to glamorize it, tweet it, post it, Instagram it. He shook it off. I want to encourage you here today that there's a moment that comes that's not a time to think, oh, how are we going to, there's something of faith that arises in you. We're talking about breakthrough. I want to tell you this, breakthrough is a reaction to an action. So often we want breakthrough just to happen. It's a reaction that happens when we take an action of faith in who God is and his promises. And if we will start to take an action of faith to, to shake off these things that we were never called to carry, so it is illegitimate. When we shake it off, it causes a reaction of faith that causes a, a catalytic explosion of the kingdom of God breaking in through and breaking off everything that is illegitimate and an alien to you and to me. We are called to be carriers of the presence, the anointing, the blessing, the favor, the grace of God, the good news that surprises people with who he is. We're not called to be carrying serpents. Those things have no authority to have uh, fastened themselves to us. And so he takes hold of that thing which took hold of him and he shakes it off in the midst of the moment. Next soundtrack. I'm gonna read this powerful passage from the TSV version. I, I heard uh, Steve Furtick just describe it this way and I loved it. It's the Taylor, Taylor Swift version. It says this, because player's gonna play, 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 play. And hater's gonna hate, 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 hate. And baby, I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake it off. Rich, sing that one for us. No, okay. You see, there's an anointing that's born out of adversity to shake off the enemy's attack. Someone tagged me in a post on Facebook with Christine Kane preaching. At first I was offended, <laughs> but then I enjoyed it. Lee, it might have been you. Was it you who tagged me in it? It was, a, it was an excellent clip. She said something that, that, uh, that hit me so hard as we're talking about anointing born out of adversity that allows you to shake off the attack. She said, there's a difference between gifting and anointing. A gift will fill a stage. It'll entertain a crowd. It'll stir people up. But it won't set people free. You see, Isaiah 10, 27 says, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke, the chains and the bondages. It's the anointing that does that. And the only way to get an anointing is through crushing. If you look at that olive, it has to go to the olive press. It has to go under the millstone. It has to be crushed so that extra virgin olive oil can come out that can be used. There's something of a crushing that has to take place, not so much a parading. And we live in a generation that wants to be paraded and not go through crushing. We're going to have wonderful gifts, but there won't be much anointing. And so the challenge, and, and just this phrase came to me, we'll be entertained, but not emancipated. If you enjoy English, I enjoy um, words, you'll be entertained, but not emancipated. Emancipated is, is a word that was used to describe, to describe what it was like in slavery. Emancipation means I'm set free from restraint, from bondage from the influence that's been placed upon me. And I come into this beautiful state called liberty. And we'll be entertained, but not emancipated. We'll have a spectacle to watch, but no spirituality to live. See, Paul knew he had an authority and anointing that was born in the midst of the adversity that enabled him to shake off that thing that tried to fasten itself to him legitimately. And the enemy tries to take advantage when he thinks you no longer have it in you. When he thinks you're exhausted, 
When he thinks, I've scored two tries against you and you're in my territory, how are you gonna make it? When you've been through the storm, when you've been shipwrecked, when he thinks you're vulnerable, when he thinks you no longer have the strength, when he thinks you're done, when he, when he sees there's no more praise on your lips, when he sees there's no more prayer in your heart, when he sees there's, sees there's no more commitment or devotion that's visible or tangible or expressed through your lifestyle, he thinks, I've got you now. But when that snake comes out of the fire, if, if it be attacking a, a thought, an idea, a relationship, whatever it might be, it has a purpose. It wants to strangle you. It wants to poison you. It wants to do all of these things. And Paul says, I'm gonna shake this off. There's something about realizing what's taken hold of you. And I want to ask you, we're going to come to a moment, I'm going to get the worship team up, and we're going to do a prophetic act. We're going to shake that off. So just think whatever might have been holding on to you, your family, your home, your finances, your marriage, your health, your generations, whatever uh, has been plaguing your mindset, anxiety and depression, discriminatory voices, whatever that might be, I want you to take hold of it and visualize it. Hold that thing because we're gonna shake it off in just a moment because there's an anointing and an authority that we're gonna see displayed. We say, well, what authority can you shake it off? You might ask me, thank you for asking. Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. God has given you everything, authority, resource, the backing of heaven. He's saying that if you will start to move in faith, your prayer will stop the enemy. He's saying your praise will confuse him. You can look at Gideon, you can look at Jehoshaphat, you can look at David. When you enter into praise, the enemy starts to get a little bit confused and disorientated. Your peace has the ability to cause him great anxiety. Your integrity disarms him. Your intimacy, I've said before, intimidates him. And your resistance, as it says in James 4 verse 7, your resistance will cause him to do what? Flee, when you resist the enemy, he has to, to flee. And here's the thing, you would have never, if you hadn't gone through what you went through, you wouldn't have the authority and the anointing to go to where he's wanting to take you. Because sometimes when we go through those things, it's what's the, the catalyst that increases our capacity, which uh, hones our character, which gives us greater insight of wisdom, which gives us greater knowledge of the truth and grace and the revelation, the mercy and the love and comfort that we have in him. You need to, I need to recognize there's things in my life that maybe he didn't orchestrate or originate but there's still been the working of God turning it for good, and I need to give God glory for that which I have gone through, that which I've come out of, that has anointed me, and to overcome that which I'm still gonna face. There are moments that have allowed me to grow in intimacy and depth of knowing Him, of knowing who I am, of knowing who we are, and maybe the enemy has sought to crush us, but the Lord has allowed it to draw out an anointing and a fragrance that we can be smeared with that smells like breakthrough. Isaiah 52 verse two, shake off your dust and rise up. Turn to someone next to you and say, shake off your dust and rise up. It says, free yourself from the chains on your neck. Matthew 10 14, and if anyone doesn't listen to you and rejects your message, have we not got the full team here? Full team, please come up. If anyone doesn't listen to you and rejects your message, when you leave that house or town, shake the dust off your feet as a prophetic act that you'll not take their defilement with you. It says in the commentary, shake it off 
before your next assignment. Shake off that dust so you can move freely to your next assignment. Shake off that rejection. Shake off that closed door. Shake off that negativity. Shake off that perceived failure. Shake off your past. Shake off complacency. Shake off unbelief. And the beauty is this, whatever you cannot shake off, the blood of Jesus washes off. Verse six, and the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they thought he was a God. See, sometimes you've got enemies that are watching to see you swell up and die. Sometimes there's the attack of hell that's against you that wants the same thing. Sometimes they're just innocent bystanders and they're just thinking, what is this person going through? I want to watch and see what happens here. And the world is attentive. The enemy is attentive. Enemies are attentive as well. And they want to see what's going to take place. But there's something that can be showcased as you allow faith to arise in your heart, to trust in Him, that can be showcased, that shows and surprises them with the goodness of God. They were there, they were watching to see him die and to swell up, to fall down dead. But yet there he is, surprise, surprise. Some people have been watching you, but yet here you are, surprise, surprise. And the question is, what did the viper attack? Not a trick question. What did the viper fasten to an attack? His hand. As we continue to read, we see this, that the governor of Malta, where they had landed, the governor of Malta's dad was sick with dysentery. So he called on Paul to come and minister. We know that his hand's just been attacked and it says, he took his hand and he placed it upon the man who was sick. He took his hand and placed it upon the man that was sick. There was no coincidence. See, that which the enemy intended to attack, God intends to use for the advancement of his kingdom. And he laid his hand on this man's father and he was healed. And it says that, let me read it to you. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. You see, he sought to attack. It was a retaliation thing to the heat and the fire. And the enemy sought to attack his hand, but then God used his hand to start a revival and change that whole place. The same area the enemy has been attacking is the same area that God can use for his glory. What does it mean? It means that if the enemy has been attacking your integrity, if he's been attacking your health, if he's been attacking your family, if he's been attacking your marriage, if he's been attacking your finances, your identity and your calling, if he's been attacking and attacking, I want to say what the enemy intended to poison, God intends to favor. That's his heart. That's who he is. And this is what happens here. And it says not only was there a, a, a revival that broke out, but it says in verse 10, they honored them in many ways, many ways, not just a few. And when it was time for them to sail, they furnished them with the supplies we needed. You see, sometimes we think that we land up at Malta and it's a detour. I want to say it's a divine door to destiny. If you allowing God to direct you, your detour can be a divine door that directs you towards your destiny. And so in this place of Malta, it's refuge. What happens there? They are repositioned for a moment so that they can be reprovisioned with everything they need so they can re-advance, which means a further advance or a secondary advance to get them in the fullness of God's call. Some of us here feel that we've been in detour and we've been set aside and set on an island. I want to say if you will trust God, if you will believe God, if you will allow God, if in that place you will turn up the fire and not be driven off by the attack, I want to say He's going to reprovision you He's going to, um, re, he's repositioning you for re-advancement and further 
destiny to be unfolded in your life and mine. And it says when Paul eventually arrives in Rome, and he says to those people that gather, he says, listen, this is why, this is what's going on, and this was my reasoning. It says they confused. Verse 21, they reply, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. So what happens the end of that chapter? It says he starts to proclaim the kingdom of God, teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I'm sure that letter that was meant to put him in that place of persecution when he got to Rome, that letter was probably on the boat with them under safe protection. Yet it didn't, it didn't last through the storm. It didn't last through the shipwreck. It didn't last through the fire that came through. But his faith did. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go things so that the, the, the condemning word against us might be destroyed, but we will come through to the fullness of the destiny God has for us. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that's beautiful. I love that.